welcome to episode 34 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're talking about the Phantom Farmhouse. It is the first story from episode 5 from season 2. We originally broadcast in October 20th, 1971. It's uh, based on a short story uh, which was originally published in 1922 by uh, a writer called Seabury Quinn. Uh, teleplay is by Halston Wells and it's directed by Jenna Swalk. Um, it's quite a long story, it's 33 minutes, it kind of dominates the episode. But um, to be honest with you, I'm not convinced this podcast will be too long. We certainly won't match that kind of length. Good evening. We offer you an evening sojourn amongst the wild, the woolly, the unbelievable, sometimes made believable, as our first painting suggests. From this picture, one wouldn't necessarily conjure up the story of love, but that's precisely what it tells about. The emotion as old as man, but the object of the emotion, this is not quite as familiar. It's titled Phantom Farmhouse, offering number one in the night gallery. Our story is set in Delphinium House. It's a sanatorium for people who are dangerous, basically. The kind of place that you use to keep people locked away. And the main person in the story is a psychiatrist, a guy called Joe Winter, who is played by uh, the man from Uncle's, David McCallum. He's at the heart, or certainly getting questioned anyway, in an investigation by the sheriff asking about a patient's death. This patient who was uh, torn to pieces. His name was May. There appears to be some kinds of link with a very uh, dangerous bloke who is a bit of a, a hippie, been there for a lot a while, and it, it, it's insinuated that he's a dangerous guy, but not really made clear. Um, his game's called Gideon, and he is a um, well, basically, he is <laughs> David Carradine, kind of before playing, uh, you know, before he was in Kung Fu, but uh, kind of playing that kind of like very chilled, um, quite airy, uh, hippie kind of character. Um, anyway, Gideon has this obsession, and he's uh, delusional, allegedly, about an imaginary woman called Mildred Square who lives in a farmhouse in the woods. It's very clear from the way David McCallum talks and the way other people speak about it that that farmhouse doesn't exist. It's just uh, derelict, been derelict for years. But um, it seems to be at the heart of um, the very ill Gideon's delusions. So the doctor goes looking for uh, info and it finds the house and it's, it's there, it's real. It's uh, very obviously there. It has um, Mildred in it, who is uh, a very beautiful woman, played by Linda Marsh. Um, she is uh, a, a looker. Her parents are, to say the least, a bit weird. And um, <coughs> our man uh, Winters, uh, Winter, finds that it's. Um, well, he gets very attracted to it very quickly, shall we say. And uh, she's not actually like knocking back these suggestions, these advances. On his way back, anyway, he finds uh, books on werewolves, on uh, lithanthropy, 
that were left by Gideon. Um, he also discovers things about the, the, you know, those distinguishing marks on Mildred are mentioned in these books, <laughs> like longer index fingers, red nails. You know, she might have red eyes as the sun goes down, that kind of thing. The feeling is that uh, Gideon has a con his connection to May is more than just leaving some handwritten notes around the body, which is how he was originally connected, but um, that Gideon's um, feeling is that he's some kind of warlock, a man designed to basically put people to push people towards werewolves. Um, you know, he's assisting Mildred in her evil ways, well, animalistic ways anyway, because uh, for, for whatever reason, and he has pentagrams which are written, like drawn on his hands, but uh, it, it looks like it's done by pen, in truth, in the story, but I think the reality is that the meant to not disappear, and that's always be there. Um, <clears throat> things start to escalate as they always do in that gallery and um, and it becomes increasingly clear two things one is our doctor is marked for death and that um, our man Gideon had actually you know marked him and pushed him towards and that's kind of why you could see the farmhouse the uh, other side of it is that uh, romance is growing uh, between the pair and initially it didn't seem to be a bit of a, a much of a problem because uh, you know it, it was just sheeps again killed but now another assistant has died so Gideon goes to the woods once again and looks for his love and he meets her and she gives a warning to him and says exactly what he must do Mildred? I begged you not to come. Something... Something terrible has happened. I have to ask you. No. Mildred, I love you. Why can't we talk? No. Never. Your hands are like ice. Let go of my hand. And run. For pity's sake, run. Don't you feel anything for me? Of course I feel for you. You're tearing me apart. You're tearing me apart. I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what's true. I don't even know who I am. I love you so much. Look at me. Why can't you look at me? Could you love me? I do love you more than my life. And let me hold you. Let me ask you about something that's happened. 
tomorrow morning, just before sunrise, come back here and bring a prayer book. What do you mean? I don't have a prayer book. Find one. Stand right over there, where those three graves are in the ferns, and read the services for the burial of the dead. But why? Oh, God, have pity. My love, do it. Please. I'll have peace. All right. I'll do it. And all the time you're reading, no matter what you hear, don't look around. Keep reading quickly. All right. So your man returns in the next day with his uh, his prayer book, which he's conveniently found after saying he couldn't find one, um, and goes to the graves and gives his prayers, says his prayers, and he can hear the dogs behind him barking away, and those barks quickly become howls of anguish and pain. It becomes too much for Gideon, and he collapses at the end at the end of the prayers, and wakes up. Uh, to discover that the farmhouse is gone and just a, a pile of rubble. He obviously has saved himself, but the woman he loves has also disappeared, never to be seen again. And that's the story, that's what we've got. <coughs> um, the worst thing I'd say is cast Twilight and that kind of dubious teenage romance stuff out from your mind. It's obviously got to be there. I mean, these days, when you talk about uh, ho- gothic horror romance, um, the the spectre of Stephanie Meyer's stories hangs a bit heavy. Um, and you know, a, a more innocent time, maybe it would it would have seemed a far more um, somewhat interesting story than possibly it does now. Uh, the love of a man for a werewolf uh, these days seems a bit random at best. And possibly a bit fetishy, a bit porny in reality. But, you know, this is, see this story not as a horror, but a melodrama. One with lots of soft focus, lots of uh, Vaseline on the lens, and um, certainly something that has a very particular look. Sailing, um, <laughs> God love him, um, he was a little bit, well, he wasn't. He wasn't particularly happy, not with the story or the way it was done, but more because the fact that because of the way Night Gallery was filmed, it had to be done as a lot of day for night scenes. And that led to it looking a bit... Mm. It has a very uh, certain look to it. It's very dreamlike in its qualities, and rightly so, because that helps the story along. A, giving it you know a bit more feeling of soft, focused romance. But also adding a bit like a, it's because it's quite quite a trippy tale. But um, well, these day for night scenes, and I, I, you have to agree, so it does look what look like what it is. It's in frequency, he says, that you can shoot night for night. If you have a two-minute segment se- se- sequence in an entire script that has to be done at night, it's rare that they'll take a company out for five hours just to shoot a two-minute sequence. On Twilight Zone we did, and had to cheat it a lot to do it. But if you'll notice on Night Gallery, very frequently it's supposed to be night, and goddammit, the sun rays coming out on one side of the screen, and it never looks proper when they shoot day for night. 
So that is a massive issue with the story. Um, <clears throat> it look it has that kind of bluey haze to everything to try and make it look as if it was. It's certainly not something you do these days. Let's put it that way. And that's disappointing. But you know, it, you always have to kind of give caveats for a lot of night gallery stuff of, of what it was at the time, how things were done then, with the special effects and that kind of stuff. And I think this is just one of those occasions you just kind of have to accept it a little bit. Um, the bigger problem for director Jenna Swark was the fact that the dogs, rather than being nightmarish, were actually a bit cute and kind of kept on running up to people, not to attack them savagely, but to give them a lick on the face, uh, which is brilliant. I think that's really funny, but I could imagine the frustration when you're trying to do, you know, you're trying to do a story about these dogs, which are, you know, they don't use werewolves as such, they just, they just turn them into um, domestic Alsatians, I think they are. And um, these domestic Alsatians just kind of go, I love you, rather than being, you know, trying to bite your face. Um, Deb Carradine, is, as, the, as the actor, is um, he's good, obviously he's great, you know, he sits cross-legged in a tree, spouting a load of quite, uh, you know, even in 71 was quite cliched and old hat, hippie stuff. Um, he makes that role as good as he can do. It's a bit frustrating that it's not, you know, not any better than what it is really. But that's the, the, the guilt there is the writing. Uh, Jack Laird said it was a, a hole-in-one kind of script. But the reality is Gideon is so much kind of like a, just a trope. Well, not even a trope, he just, he's a catalyst for stuff, things to happen. He, his entire job is just to push things along and doesn't do that especially well in truth. He kind of, people, you know, something will happen and then you have to kind of refer to Gideon to what it means or what's going on. He makes the storytelling easier, but, um, you know, you can spot what his, his actual job in the plot is a mile away, which is bad for the drama, but easy for the script writing, which is a shame, but, you know, Carradine does his best with it. Dave McCallum, you know, is as believable as you can be if you thought of a man falling in love with a werewolf. Um, again, cast Twilight out of your mind for a second, but it's, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. He's got a, He's trying to solve this mystery around these woods and, you know, he, he does it as stoically as he can. Um, you know, it's, it's you know he's, he's, he's good in those kind of scenes, he's good in the action. I think for me, <clears throat> there are a few moments when it kind of, the, the, the script stalls you. Like, like when, he go, when she goes, get a prayer book. And he goes, I haven't got one. And then that's like the end of the scene. It's like, oh no, you know. Either that's meant to lead to a scene where he's searching desperately for this prayer book, or it's meant to lead to a scene where he is not got, unable to get one. But the reality is, he just gets one. And that's it. So you just kind of it just they hold. It, it's a weird thing to say, and it holds you up quite a lot. I mean, it gives you more opinion, you know, more character in, the, in to him, and you know, fleshes him out as a person. At the same time, the story's nearly done at that stage. I don't really understand why why you, you need to do it. Um, so it falters a little bit at times. It's um, obviously, these days, you couldn't really get away with this kind of story, I don't think, unless you were pitching towards 14-year-old girls. But, <clears throat> you know, gothic romance, they call it, don't they? And it's, uh, there's a second. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story before, before I finish off. I was in a, a Warstones bookshop in the UK in the Macclesfield one 
and uh, I was looking just I always wanted a, a you know a, an anthology book book ghost stories and this uh, this bookshop which is a major chain in the UK um, it didn't have a horror section or a ghost section or anything like that it had all it had was a gothic romance section so I could pick up stories about teenage girls falling in love with vampires and there was a wall of them but anything about teenage girl getting killed by a vampire that was completely out and I think that's kind of dominated the way in the last three or four years we've looked at these kind of stories uh, before it was just like a bit of a dead genre and now it's um, seen as something basically just put to one side for children and that's a bit of a shame I suppose um, you know there's a night there's kind of a I won't say naivety well maybe it is naivety <coughs> but there's a um, it's a very specific genre and one that's kind of slowly passed into time and, uh, and it's resurgence particularly with people I'm assuming our age who are a little bit older wouldn't normally go into it's the kind of thing your kids read these days isn't it anyway enough of my rants of the, uh, the state of the English literature um, and also uh, the state of book selling in, in the UK um, next week we talk about a classic story uh, not necessarily a classic story from Night Gallery but it's uh, Conrad Aiken's Silent Snow Secret Snow which um, I'm hoping I'll be able to get an ebook for you and get that sorted sometime this week so it's there for download um, if you want to get hold of that and have a look at it you can have to go to the website um, it will be at www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com um, you can't I'm not going to do it as I know uh, Tom it's really good at getting people to do audiobooks. Um, you probably noticed that it was I had a week off where I was trying to work out how to do it. Uh, and you also know that my own... <laughs> I am... I, I, I think I like about doing the podcast is it's very much like me just talking to people. And uh, I say things like, and, uh, and I pause, and I just kind of get through it. Uh, I'm not convinced that's particularly the best way to do an audiobook reading. And I'm not convinced anyone will listen to 45 minutes of me talking out yet because it's not a short story. So if you want to check it out, I'm pretty sure I should be able to get that up and out uh, middle of this week, maybe even earlier. So if you get it, pick up if you pick this up on the Sunday Monday, uh, it should be with you, say Wednesday. So if you've got a Kindle or we'll do it in a word, I'll, I'll look into it. It'll be fine. It'll be there. It'll be in more than one format. <laughs> so. As always, if you want to get hold of me, you can do. That's at orange underscore monkey. If you want... Oh, that's my Twitter account. If you want to email me, you can do. At chris at twilightzonenetwork.com Or, easiest way, I suppose, is to leave a comment on our, on our webpage, which is www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com As I said, that's the only place you're going to be able to download a copy of this ebook uh, that I've, I've put together. Um, also, it's the... Um, you know, there's links. There's all sorts of stuff on there now. We've got, fan, uh, we've got I wouldn't say fan fiction. We've got fiction. We've got fiction stories by um, <clears throat> a guy who, who does like you know, in, in in the spirit of the Twilight Zone, but not necessarily a Twilight Zone story as such. Um, we've also, you know, fan fiction tends to insinuate you've got Rod Serling, you know, doing whatever. This is not like it's it's, uh, it's a, you know it's a, a a short sci-fi story with a twist in the tale. Let's put it that way. We've also got reviews. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, if you get in early there's a day left I think on our competition 
to win uh, three copies of, well, season one, two, and three of Blu-ray of The Twilight Zone. Uh, that, cop that competition is open worldwide as well, so if you want it, you can have it. Uh, the, which is, it, it's a link. All you've got to do is uh, leave a message on the forum, on the Twilight Zone forum, UK forum. So, you know, there's certainly a chance you could still do that if you've got time. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of stuff there. So if you want to go and check it out, that would be great. Um, until next week, though, if you want to read it, it's there. It should be there. Uh, Silent Snow, Secret Snow. And then we'll talk about that for next week. Um, and I will, after giving Gene Kearney so much grief, I'll have to suck it up a little bit and accept that sometimes he does things right. But until then, take care.